Welcome to TW Now, where we examine today's news in light of the Bible. I'm Scott Winnale. The Middle East and Jerusalem have been a powder keg for thousands of years. Jerusalem has been a long fought over city, a far cry from its nickname, the City of Peace. In recent years, events in the Middle East have heated up yet again, from the Arab Spring to the erupting Gaza Strip in the West Bank to Syria to Iran, there seems to be one destructive confrontation after another. The Middle East has also become a hotbed for proxy wars fought by Saudi Arabia, Iran, Russia, and the US. Did you know that experts watching the Middle East are growing concerned? And some are beginning to warn of an impending hot war in the Middle East, possibly as soon as this year. A recent April 24, 2019 article on the oilprice.com website observed, and you see it here, a new Middle East mega war is unfolding right before our eyes. The article pulls no punches <coughs> about Iran's ambitions and the reaction of nations in the region to the growing Iranian threat. We also see the rhetoric escalating between Iran and the US. If you watch the news, you know that the world leaders are worried by what they're now witnessing in the Middle East and especially in the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea. Where will this lead? Will we see a war in the Middle East possibly as soon as this summer? Today's guests will help us make sense of the scary events now playing out in the Middle East. I'd like to welcome our returning guest today, Mr. Dexter Wakefield is with us. He's a Tomorrow's World writer who has authored articles that include What's the Draw of Sharia Law, Turkey and the Winds of History, Will Islam Transform Europe, and An Islamic Wind. Mr. Wakefield is also a well-studied student of Bible prophecy. So again, welcome. It's good to have you back on the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Mr. Ray Clore is a retired U.S. State Department employee who has traveled and lived in the Middle East during his extensive career. He also holds a master's degree in public policy from George Mason University, a degree that led him to further study the impacts of religion, culture, economics, and weapons of mass destruction on public policy and national ambitions. Mr. Clore is joining us via Skype once again from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Mr. Clore. It's good to have you back with us. Thank you, Scott. Gentlemen, as we begin today, actually, let me just hold off for a second and let our audience know, if you have questions as we carry out our discussion, please feel free to message us. We'll do our best to address some of your questions today. Also, we invite you to subscribe, to like, or to share today's program. But let's jump in with our first question. And Mr. Clore, let me direct this to you. As we begin, what are some of the rapidly emerging events that we are watching transpire in the Middle East today? Uh, perhaps we could uh, bring up the map and we could just orient people uh, to the Persian Gulf and where that is. Okay. I, I think one of the main things that people may have heard recently was uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, who um, tweeted out that the United States was sending the carrier battle group Abraham Lincoln uh, to the Middle East uh, and it sounded like this is in response to a, a threat, an up, upgraded Iranian threat. I think people should understand the, the threat that they were addressing was uh, Iran was putting short-range ballistic missiles in small vessels in the Persian Gulf. And some people thought that that meant that they were going to try to uh, attack shipping or attack targets uh, in the United Arab Emirates or other places. But um, really, that 
seems to be not the case because it's very difficult to shoot short-range ballistic missiles off of boats. The Iranians already had anti-ship missiles on land and on islands that they could take out various ships in the Gulf. So it seems like this carrier battle group was also on a routine deployment to the Middle East, and it will be there outside the Persian Gulf for a while and on its way to a new home port in San Diego. So that is one of those things that has flared up, but it doesn't seem to be really an indicator of uh, a greater problem, at least at this point. Let me ask you really quickly, about the same time that that carrier battle group was entering the Red Sea, um, there were, I believe, four oil tankers that were um, attacked. They think it may have been mines now in an oil field in Yemen or in Saudi Arabia that was attacked. Um, do you think that may have given the press or the powers that be some of the alert in thinking that, well, maybe the carrier group's coming down for that reason? It could be. Uh, the Iranians uh, specialize in uh, proxy wars, using other people to carry out their, their means, their ends. And if the Iranians, they would like to raise the price of oil so that even if the U.S. sanctions against Iran reduce exports, they'll get a higher price so they'll still maintain a good cash flow. So one way to do that is to sabotage ships going through the Straits of Hormuz so it would raise the uh, insurance rates. So again, it raises the price of oil. So that's perhaps one thing that could have been in play here. Okay. Mr. Wakefield, what are some of your thoughts? Well, uh, uh, I think Mr. Cloy's comments were extremely interesting about the fact that they were already being deployed and the carrier group was already being deployed. Um, it certainly set off uh, a lot of uh, tough talking by the Iranians. I think Hajizadeh, their commander over there, was uh, saying that, uh, the, that they were going to blow the whole thing up or could, they would become targets for them. But I really don't think that can happen just because the carrier groups are so strong. They can really knock out anything that gets in anywhere close to them. But it's led to a great deal of, of uh, rather very hostile rhetoric. The commander of the U.S. Naval Services, uh, uh, Naval Forces Central Command said that, he said frankly rather calmly that, is, uh, that he is not challenged to operate a carrier force, his carrier group, anywhere in the Middle East. That he can do that anywhere he wants to, and my guess that's, that's probably a, a pretty accurate statement, even though an Iranian cleric said that they could blow up the whole thing, that would have to be a nuclear weapon which they deny they have. So a lot of very harsh rhetoric is going on and I hope it does not lead to uh, further hostilities in some flashpoint like around the Strait of Hormuz. Yeah, the, that cleric I believe made some kind of a comment somewhere along the lines of we can knock out their carrier with one missile. He said the whole group. Okay, wow. said the whole group. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's powerful words anyway. <clears throat> Mr. Clore. Yeah. I'd like to just remind everyone, though, that the policy of the United States has been to increase sanctions against Iran and to try to discourage countries from buying Iranian oil. The goal seems to be to reduce Iranian oil exports to as close to zero as possible. Now, what this means is that, you know, countries as well as people, when they are used to receiving a certain benefit and then that benefit is, is denied them or taken away, they tend to do extreme things. 
So if Iran <coughs> sees that its oil exports are going down because of U.S. pressure, they will want to strike out. They will want to do something to react to that. And it's not just the oil. It just seems like all the U.S. sanctions are having a big impact. Some of the uh, uh, information I have here is that the inflation rate in Iran has jumped to over 50% uh, in the last month. Um, their economy is shrinking by 4 to 6% per year. So when a country is under this kind of pressure, they're going to try to find some way to strike back at uh, those who are causing this problem. So I, I think it's something we need to watch. How is Iran going to strike back at the U.S. and our allies? Mm. I, just, I, I agree very much with what Mr. Clore said. I would just add something to that, that uh, Iranians have another big factor. It's not just the economics. They have ideology. And they have a, 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 an ideology there of, of a rather extreme one, religious ideology, that they hope to extend their um, crescent of influence all the way around. Perhaps we can put the map up and, and, and see that again. Uh, they want what we call the Iranian crescent that would go from um, Iran through Iraq, which is a largely Sunni country, through Syria, uh, which has, um, uh, or rather, Iraq is largely a Shia country, through Syria, which has, is ruled by a sect of Shia, through, uh, uh, I guess, through uh, Beirut, Lebanon, where they also have a lot of uh, uh, Hezbollah forces in in, in those particular areas. So uh, I think that their ideology is driving them very strongly too, and they would absorb a great deal of economic discomfort in order to continue to try to get rid of the Israelis. Uh, but at some point, they have to do something, just as Mr. Clore said, and that mm. could be to start fighting. And we could see that happen uh, through their surrogate sometime this summer. Mr. Clore, do you have anything else to add about the uh, religious persuasion of Iran, the Shia? Oh. I think something that uh, our viewers should keep in mind is that the Shia in particular, they have a religious permission to lie and to deceive. Um, this is called uh, Tariqa, uh, something like that. And um, they originally adopted this uh, to try to protect themselves from Sunni persecution. It does seem that this uh, predilection toward deception and lying has continued on uh, throughout the culture. So any time that we try to make agreements with the Iranians, we have to be careful that they, because they, they believe that we are unbelievers and therefore they don't have to keep their word to us. So I think that's something that we have to be very, very careful about, that whole culture, which is apocalyptic in its viewpoint, and also how it treats non-Shia people as sort of less, almost less than human. That's something that we have to sort of keep in mind with these people. That's something that we don't see much of in the um, media here in the West, uh, that not only are there the two major factions, of beliefs within Islam, uh, the Sunni and the Shia, but that there are real extremes in those belief systems. It seems like, don't we seem to paint uh, most of the Arabs as the same kind of people with the same perspective? No, uh, they're, they're really very different there. Um, I don't know if we'll get into who the 
um, on the 12th Imam is, who's supposed to be still alive and in the cave somewhere after 800 years, but uh, they believe this person's going to emerge in, at an extreme time of extreme peril with great wars going on. And th these are the serious senior leaders of their country. So uh, they have a very aggressive outlook. We don't often talk about that. We talk about the, the other people there that we've had problems with, but they have a very aggressive outlook in, throughout the region. And I guess, as uh, some people say, for um, an aggressor, weakness is a provocation. Mm -hmm. So I think right now they are, uh, the U.S. policy has been to have a show of strength to present to prevent greater problems from happening, but they could happen anyway with people who as ideologically motivated as they are. Well, I was just going to make a quick comment. You mentioned the, uh, the Mahdi, this um, Islamic Messiah mm. that uh, they believe is going to come. I know some of the leaders over there actually believe, with that belief system, that if they create a certain amount of chaos, it might prompt that Muslim <coughs> Messiah to return which is an, another piece of the ideology. Let me ask, let me push us on. Uh, Mr. Clore, thinking about the Middle East and things that are going on, any thoughts about other issues uh, in the Middle East that could lead to war? I'm thinking about uh, a bit north of Jerusalem, perhaps. Yes, I think we've already touched on the whole idea of a Shia crescent going from Iran through northern Iraq to Syria. It seems like the Iranians are trying to fill depopulated areas uh, of Syria with Iranians, uh, which means that the refugee crisis uh, where Syrians have fled their home because of civil war, they're not going to be able to come back because they're going to be finding that their houses are already occupied by Persians. And this, that the Shia influence in Hezbollah is also very important. The, the Iranians seem to be supplying Hezbollah with thousands and thousands of rockets. Mm. And sooner or later, the Hezbollah people, when they have these rockets, they're going to use them. Now, whether or not this is just going to be um, part of a greater plan that the Iranians are using their, their proxies to pursue Israel, pursue uh, retaliation against the United States or others, or if it's just something that the local Hezbollah leadership is going to do at some point, it's, it's really hard to say, but it's, it's very possible that with this overabundance of rockets in Hezbollah, that there could be a border confrontation between Israel and Hezbollah in this coming summer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a great worry uh, to me, too. Uh, what, 120, 130,000 rockets, and a lot of them are more accurate than they used to be. Uh, they, at some point, will get around to start shooting these things off, I wonder if the Israelis would have a preemptive attack to try to destroy them before they could shoot them off, and they can't possibly stop all of those rockets with their Iron Dome anti-missile defense. So uh, that could certainly start off a, a, a serious war in the, in the Middle East. It brings to mind the scripture in Luke 14:31 uh, talks about the king who is um, is he able to meet the other king um, with ten thousand who comes against him with thirty thousand? There are calculations here that people make careful calculations before they do these things. However, when you have heavily armed people in close proximity that are hostile to each other, stuff happens. Stuff happens, and they could start shooting on anything at any flashpoint in that area. 
Mr. Clore, you've lived in this region for years. Mr. Wakefield just mentions uh, heavily armed people in close proximity. Can you give us an idea of how close this proximity is? I, th I think of Lebanon and its relationship to Jerusalem, for example. I could give you a, a personal example. Uh, we lived on a mountain uh, just south of Jerusalem for four and a half years, a place called Bejala. And uh, on one side of our house, we could look down the valley toward the Mediterranean. And on the other side of the house, we could look across the Dead Sea Valley into Jordan. So we're looking at very close proximities, uh, you know, 50, 60 miles, uh, and, and you have uh, different nations. And so the kind of reaction times are very short. If, if this bullet starts shooting rockets off, the Israelis would want to react uh, as quickly as they could. Um, but the Israeli Air Force is based in the Negev in the south, so it would take a bit of, of time for them to send their fighters up to react to something in Syria or also in, in Lebanon. But it's a very small country, really, especially when you have rockets and the speeds at which these things come in. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking even scrambling jets. You know, you, you, you push it to the max and you're doing a, a thousand miles an hour. You cover quite a bit of territory pretty quickly. It, Mr. Wakefield, any other thoughts about some of the biggest motivators for the current Middle East conflicts? Any other reasons why these conflicts are going on? Well, we've talked about several of them. Um, oil, of course, is a huge one. There, um, Iran is operating at, at a, terrible, a terrible economic disadvantage, and I think they would like to break out of that. There have been some rumors that they are thinking about bombing Saudi oil facilities and shutting those down in order to raise the price of oil. I know that they would like to control the Strait of Hormuz. They've tried to do that in the past and have used from time to time missiles to, to try to do it. Um, uh, it may be that they would like to start a war in, in order to uh, have a basis for a peace negotiation that would allow them to start exporting again. There are all kinds of things that, that could happen there, but uh, basically the, the tensions are rising very, very fast. We do have a possible peace agreement that is in negotiation now that could either resolve many of these problems or make them much worse. Those who are absolutely opposed to Israel's existence would probably start a war to prevent it. There are others who might um, stop uh, their um, uh, agitation for war in order to have a greater uh, military uh, peace agreement. Yeah, I, I'd like to add too is that uh, the United States last fall uh, cut off most of our funding for the UN agency that supports Palestinian refugees. It gives them education, food. We cut off uh, security assistance for the West Bank uh, authorities. So, and the idea was that this would try to push the Palestinians into more uh, a, a negotiation with, is it, with Israel. Uh, given the fact that so many of the Palestinians are Muslim, and they have this idea that they need to fight the infidel to the death, uh, they, this pressure from the United States hasn't been working. And I think that uh, what Mr. Wakefield said about sometimes people start wars basically to try to improve their negotiating position, I think it's possible that we could see a lot more unrest in Gaza and the West Bank 
uh, because there's less money to support them, less food, less education, less security services. And so at some point, people are going to start uh, reacting to that. And that may be in part to try to get a better negotiating position for this peace plan that may be coming up. Okay. Sometimes you just shake things up. You know, if the things are going against you, you just throw all the pieces up in the air. War is a wonderful way to do that, particularly if it doesn't cost you too much. Uh, so, uh, yeah, could there be a war in the Middle East this summer? A proxy war certainly could happen. Uh, and who knows whether it could spread much wider than that. It's a scary prospect. Mr. Clore, will there be war in the Middle East this summer? Or is there something else we should be watching for? I think the possibility of war in the Middle East is always great. I personally think that the wars that we're going to be seeing will be low-level engagements. They'll be proxies, uh, primarily from Iran. Uh, and, and not just in sort of the Gulf and Syria and Israel area, but don't forget the Houthis, which are also backed by the Iranians down at the Gulf of, of Aden. So that's one way that they can also put pressure on chipping uh, by the, the Houthis firing rockets against ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Mm. So you know, I, I think it's quite possible we're going to see more engagements. I don't sense at this point that's going to be a, a very large, wider conflict, although the problem with proxies is that you can't control them, and you have unintended consequences. So one of your proxies, let's say Hezbollah and Lebanon starts something, and then it just spreads somehow. So that's always a possibility, but at this point, I think it's probable it's going to be small, localized conflicts. Mr. Wakefield, when we think about war in the Middle East, the Bible indicates that war is coming to the Middle East. What do we, what do our viewers need to be aware of as, as we watch what's going on in the Middle East? Are there specific events we should be watching for? There are a number of them we could be watching for. I will say that we know what will happen, we just don't know when and we don't know how. Um, but one of the things that we do to try to help our viewers is to put these events that we're seeing in the context of the flow of the biblical narrative of prophecy. Uh, biblical prophecy is sort of future and a history of the future and that we can put a lot of these things in the context of what's happening there. So I hope that uh, we will um, be able to, to do that for our viewers both on Tomorrow's World and on this program. Um, I do think that we may see a peace agreement coming up soon and people are going to be jockeying in position for that, particularly the Saudis could have a major role in this peace agreement over Jerusalem that's being negotiated now. So that could be a major event that will be happening in the very near future. As I said, that could either stabilize things or make them much worse as people react to it. Mm. Mr. Clore, what else should we be watching for? Well, I, I agree with uh, Mr. Wakefield uh, about the issue of Jerusalem and that the possibility of some kind of uh, negotiation between Israel and Europe and perhaps other countries to provide greater security for the Temple Mount so that Jews could actually begin sacrifices. Uh, if I could, I'd like to make a shout out to Tomorrow's World interviews on YouTube. Uh, I was interviewed not too long ago. About, this is Viewpoint, uh, Tomorrow's World Viewpoint. Oh, excuse me, you're correct, Tomorrow's World Viewpoint. Um, and uh, I think as early as June, early June, 
They may upload my interview, which I talk about the Temple Mount and coming animal <laughs> sacrifices there, and, and then how the, they have some really great graphics. So I, I, I'd like our viewers to sort of tune into that if Watch they could. Yeah. yeah. As far as events go, that what we watch for, the big one, as Mr. Clore said, is the reinstitution of those sacrifices. Because when they are reinstituted, they can stop. And the Bible, biblically, when they cease, when the, someone goes in there and stops them, that begins a great many of the activities that we are going to see um, happen in the future. Um, it, uh, we do see in Daniel 12, 11, and from the time of the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of a desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days, so forth. This is a major event that we're watching for very closely. Could this happen in the context of the peace agreement that is currently being negotiated? I don't know. We don't know. Or could the one that's being negotiated lead to a larger one? It's going to have to have some much stronger actors, I think, arise both in the Middle East and in, the, um, in Europe in order to force some major resolution onto them. Well, it seems like there would need to be some kind of a major event that takes place for Jews to offer sacrifices on or near the Temple Mount. Uh, that's unheard of right now. That would cause war all over the Middle East. So something politically would have to change drastically. Mr. Clore. Yes. One of the things we're looking for is, is given in Daniel 11 and verse 40. It talks about when the king of the south attacks the king of the north, then there's going to be a reaction. What would provoke the king of the south? And again, who is the king of the south? We, we understand generally that this in the end times refers to the Islamic world, possibly in particular led by the Saudis, which are, are a kingdom to the south of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem always is the focal point of Bible prophecy. So if there was some kind of peace agreement that allowed Jews to sacrifice, that would enrage much of the Arab and Muslim world, and that could cause these kind of furious attacks toward the guarantors of that security, which in this case would be Europe. And that would also tend to uh, result in the Europeans organizing themselves and coming back down into the Middle East to Egypt, Israel, uh, Libya, the other areas which are mentioned in Bible prophecy. And that's going to be the big, the big one. So it's when an, the king of the south attacks the king of the north in such a way as to provoke this furious response, that's going to be the big one. And could this be brought about by Jewish people doing sacrifices on the Temple Mount, it could be. Uh, but again, this particular peace uh, plan that Jared Kushner is pushing, is that going to be the thing that's going to bring it about? We can't tell, and uh, we just have to watch. Or would it be a precursor to it? Uh, you know, we talk about the sacrifices. The sacrifices can't happen until we have a sanctified priesthood. And the sanctified priesthood can't happen until they agree on who that is and they get their red heifer and they do all of the things that are necessary to do it. All, many of those pieces, maybe all of them, for all we know, are in place there now. Uh, many of these things could happen fairly quickly in the context of current events and circumstances. So um, I will say that biblically, we're told that when these things happen, they'll happen quickly. 
we tend to think of things as happening in a very slow, continuous function, build up, build up, event after event. But uh, really, when, like when you break a stick, it bends and bends and bends, and then it snaps suddenly. Historical events and political events tend to happen that way. So we'll just remind our viewers to remember that when these things happen, it could be very quickly and very suddenly. Things come into place very fast. Just as Mr. Clore said, if they negotiate all of these things, if there's a lot more going on than we know, suddenly a lot of these things are put into place. There's a big blow up here and there. We will, from the, from the Arabs, from the Europeans or other people, all is cut off. People have to get involved. Uh, things could spiral out of control fast. I'd just like to add from a, a biblical perspective, I think our viewers are pretty biblically literate, and they know that there's going to be this 200 million man army coming from the east, and it's going to come through at the end times, and it's going to come all the way to Jerusalem and fight a, a climactic battle uh, within a European power. What don't we see? We don't see Iran able to resist a 200 million man army coming across mm -hmm. their territory. What does this tell us? It tells us that between somehow, uh, between now and that 200 million man army, Iran will be reduced to impotence as a military force. So somehow with all these uh, military things going on, it could be that there would be such a reaction by the United States or Europe or other countries that would just level the Iranian oil infrastructure, it would level the Iranian military and make it possible for this very large army to sort of march through and fulfill Bible prophecy. Let me throw out a wild one. This one's way, way off the reservation. But what if the Sunnis and the Shias get together because of miraculous events in Islam? We're talking about miraculous events happening in Europe and people bringing down fire from heaven. What if similar events happen there? and they come together. We're, we're talking about an assumption that they will always be apart. I don't know how it would happen, but um, I wouldn't completely rule that out. So it sounds like w exactly how these events are gonna happen, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of indication, mm -hmm. uh, but it does give us some, some things to watch for, some events, specific events to watch for. As we have reached this point in the program, I want to begin to wind us down now. Hopefully we've wet the whistles of our viewers just a little bit and gotten you interested. There certainly is much more to talk about today. But as we do this, I'd like to pose the question, and we'll, we'll go to you first, Mr. Wakefield. Think about some takeaways or a takeaway that we want our audience to have at the end of this program. We've been talking about war in the Middle East, the fact that war is coming. Uh, we may see it soon, but we will definitely see it in the future. What takeaway, Mr. Wakefield, would you like to leave our audience with today? Well, what does um, fulfilled prophecy look like? What will fulfilled prophecy look like? Well, sometimes it's something extremely dramatic, signs in the sky and so forth. But you know, most of the time, fulfilled prophecy looks like news. Mm. You read it in the newspaper. <laughs> These things happen. Uh, you know, we're, we're saying that Jerusalem will become the center of world, uh, world uh, um, attention. We have the Bible who, that said that for a very, very long time. Sacrifices formed in Jerusalem. Um, miraculous works being done by certain characters will happen. A European confederation, a Muslim confederation. All of these things 
could appear to happen just within the context of events and circumstances of history, yet they're there in the Bible. Some people will say, well, yeah, the Bible prophesies, yes, I believe. But other people will say, well, this is just part of the natural chain of events. And um, I will say this, if there's such a thing as fulfilled prophecy, the, event, uh, the implications are enormous for our lives. A lot of people simply don't want to face up to that. They're not going to say this is fulfilled prophecy. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9 says that none of the wicked shall understand but the wise shall understand. Well, the wise believe God and his revelatory information. Others, if they don't, they simply can't understand what's going on. As I was saying before, the Bible gives a narrative of future history, and we're instructed to watch, watch. Well, um, as I, in Luke 21, 35 and 36, I won't read the whole thing, but it says it comes as a snare on the world, something you don't see, and then it grabs you. It catches you in a trap. So it says watch, and you, we need to be acquainted with what could happen, and then watch to see what will happen. So watch TW Now, and watch Tomorrow's World, and we'll try to keep everyone abreast of events. Okay. Mr. Clore. Thank you. I, I'd like to, again, make that shout out for the Tomorrow's World Viewpoint interview uh, that I uh, had on the uh, Temple Mount and coming animal sacrifices. I believe that's supposed to come up uh, on uh, June 12th or as early as June 12th. I mean, it still has to be decided. But please look for that. It's on YouTube. There's a lot of other great Tomorrow's World Viewpoint interviews, which I think would be of interest to our viewers. I think a few other very uh, quick takeaways is that Iran has shied away from direct military confrontation with the U.S. and other countries, and partially because the big hostage that no one talks about is that we at any point could level their whole oil infrastructure. So they have chosen to use proxies to fight through other people so that we cannot say that, oh, well, Iran has attacked Saudi Arabia or, or Iran has directly attacked the United States Navy. They'll try to use other people to do that because they don't want us to come and just take out entirely their whole oil infrastructure, which is very vulnerable. The problem with using surrogates, however, is that you can't control them completely. And so that's always the possibility that a low-level conflict, whether it be the Houthis in, in Aden or Yemen, or the Hezbollah in, in uh, Lebanon, or any other uh, proxy that they may use, things may start and then spiral out of control. So that's what we have to watch for. These, these small, low-level conflicts will probably continue on, continue on, and you don't know at what point something might happen to spiral out of control. So I think our, our viewers need to watch those things. It seems to be the commonality in your recommendations for both of you is watch. There are things to watch for. Gentlemen, thank you both for being on the program today. Mr. Wakefield, thank you for being here in the studio. Thank you. Mr. Clore, thank you for joining us again from the nation's capital area. It's good to, good to work with you both today. Thank you. Good to see you, Ray. For those who are watching events in the Middle East, things appear to be heating up, at least for right now. The Middle East is a region of volatile tempers, a seeming lack of fear of war, and now even nuclear weapons. Small and even larger scale war could break out at any time over oil, power and control, religion, and ultimately over who will control Jerusalem. 
However, the major coming war will not occur until we begin to see some of the very specific biblically prophesied events we've been talking about. These are the events actually that we do need to carefully watch for. To learn more about specific events to watch for, you need to read or listen to our article, Five Prophecies for the Middle East, available to download at tomorrowsworld.org. You need to read this article. And when you do, you'll better understand the key Middle East events to watch for and why we're witnessing some of the events happen today that we are. These events are setting up for the fulfillment of these five key prophecies. To examine more of today's news in light of the Bible, please join us each week on TW Now. Next week, we plan to answer a question that directly relates to your life. Is stress killing you? We also invite you to be sure to subscribe, like, or share today's program. And we do look forward to seeing you again next week here on TW Now.